Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Sports with Yosef. I'm Yosef Macinter, special guest, the play-by-play broadcaster of the Baltimore Orioles. It's Kevin Brown. He is joining me today on Sports with Yosef. We'll talk Orioles and MLB with him as sports are on their way back. I will talk a little bit about that, not that much. I'll also talk about an MVP winner who is going to the most successful team since the turn of the century. More on that all coming up and much, much more on Sports with Yosef. About a year ago, Jerry Sandusky, the voice of the Baltimore Ravens, joined me on Sports with Yosef. Today, joining me on Sports with Yosef, it's Kevin Brown, the play-by-play broadcaster for the Baltimore Orioles. Kevin, actually just unmuted your microphone, which I accidentally muted. Kevin, thanks for joining me today. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing relatively well, Yosef. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. And one of the things I was really curious about when you were coming into um, Baltimore, and actually one of the things which I actually did in the intro for Jerry Sandusky, Joe Angel had practically just retired. And you're coming into Baltimore and stepping into his shoes. What was that like? And how did you approach that? Um, the cliche answer is actually the, the real answer in this circumstance, which is not always the case, which is that I didn't think about it in those terms. Uh, I'm not naive enough to, to, to not know what was going on. I know that Joe was a beloved figure. Um, when I went down to Sarasota last year for my first spring training with the team, I was waiting in line for rental car, struck up a conversation with these two young women that had some Orioles gear. And um, it, it came about that I was down here as the new radio broadcaster. And one of them said, oh, when I heard Joe was retiring, I, I cried all day. So that was a nice uh, slap in the face of reality that, yeah, I, I was walking into something big. But I, I just really never considered it on a day-to-day basis. I know that might sound strange to some, but I didn't walk into the booth and think, well, this is Joe's booth. I, I that wouldn't be productive for anybody. It certainly wouldn't be productive for me. And my goal was always just to call the game the, no, uh, the way I knew how and to be myself and to have faith in the fact that the Orioles hired me for my personality and not because they just wanted somebody to do exactly what Joe Angel did. Uh-huh. So, and I don't know if you would know this yet, but a broadcaster from ESPN told me, what's got to be a month, month and a half ago, that the ESPN broadcasters would be broadcasting the MLB season from their homes. Is that going to be the case for you as well? That's what I've been told. Um, I don't know what level of, of baseball I'll do for ESPN versus the Orioles. Uh, as to specific schedules, I don't know yet, but ESPN, we've been broadcasting the Korean baseball games, the KBO, for the last couple of months. And those games have been done out of broadcasters apartments or houses um so i think that same setup is going to happen uh no one's told me officially but it's actually worked very well for the kbo and i'm guessing it'll work the same for major league baseball what camera angles would you have i haven't done any of those games but i but i have done games in a studio before where you're just calling the game off of one monitor which i imagine in in some form or in some sport i'll be doing again this year the games I've done have been pretty simply only the main camera. Um, I've called Japanese baseball out of a studio in Connecticut. 
at four or five in the morning, very similar to the KBO. And the broadcast feed you get is the feed from Japan. That's it. So you're watching what the program feed is showing and that's it. So that can be frustrating because you don't have dugouts, you don't have bullpens, you don't have fielder alignments unless the game is on those specific things. So you have to tell the stories that you have ready and just be prepared at a moment's notice to shift direction because you're not gonna have a producer or a director in your headset telling you, uh, we're going to this camera next or we're going to this graphic next. So you just have to be a little bit more adept at improvisation and roll with what you see on the screen. But the the folks who have been doing the Korean games, Jason Benetti and, and Boog Shambi and Carl Ravage, are all really skilled at that. And they won't say anything that's a guess. They're going to say what they're seeing on the screen. And I think the audience is probably attuned enough at this point to, to understand that. I, I think most folks that are watching know that they're just doing the games from their homes. And these are the limitations of the moment in the world right now. And I think people are, are smart enough to get that and not clamoring to say, why aren't you telling me who's warming up? Because they understand that people don't know that. So I, I think it takes a little bit of uh, a shift on the viewing audiences uh, perspective, but I think folks are smart enough to understand those are the limitations we have. And Kevin, what's really interesting about this is that's how I broadcast live on the when I do live play by place on Sportscaster. I'm just watching the TV stream and doing what it looks like all the professionals are starting to follow my track. So good news. I, guess, I mean, I guess I'm the trendsetter there. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's funny. It's it's almost a throwback in a sense because you think about it. So many of, of my colleagues, and and I am in this boat. Like, you grow up wanting to do play by play, and you just Call a game at home. You just watch a, an Orioles-Yankees game on your TV. You sit there at an age, whatever it is, growing up, 10, 13, 16, and you just call the game to yourself. I mean, that's, that's how a lot of us get started, calling a video game, calling a replay of a game, calling a live game. And it, it's a way that we all get started and, and build up the craft before we have the professional means to get out there and, and be in a stadium. And, and now it's like, we're going back in time to do that for the foreseeable future. I, mean, I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch how the season will progress. Um, what was your reaction to the Orioles drafting Heskin Kerstad with the second overall pick? No one really had slotted him to go that early. The Orioles went up and, and got him. Maybe they were playing the under slot games. They went, and went over slot later on in the draft. What was your reaction? Yeah, I, I knowing Mike Elias's history, I, I know a lot of folks had speculated about under slot. I think they decided we'll go under slot if we also like the player. So I, I think if the Orioles thought Heston was the seventh best guy on their draft board or the fifth best guy, they wouldn't have done it. But if he was second or close to second, it's a situation similar to Carlos Correa, who the Astros took and who was seen as an under slot player as a reach pick, but Mike Elias and uh, it really wasn't him. It was Jeff Luno and the Astros brass who would speak to the media at the time always said, 
he was the guy we liked and he happened to be under slot. So I'm trusting the Orioles in that respect. Um, I don't think they would go for a seismic reach for somebody they didn't like because you don't know who's going to be available at 30 and 39 and in the third round and in the fourth round and in the fifth round. So I understand the, the logic behind it if he was one of their guys. And as to the specifics of the pick, look, uh, there are a lot of folks that did not have him in their mocks as the number two pick. I had not seen Heston play in college the same way I'd seen maybe only two of the first round picks play in college. I certainly didn't see any of the high school kids. So I don't want to speculate as to who's the right player or not. But I know Ben McDonald, who does a bunch of games for us, is as well-versed as anybody in the SEC and loves Heston's swing and loves his power potential. And if look, if you play in the SEC and you get the Ben McDonald seal of approval, um, that's good with me to start. Uh, he seems like a, a mature young kid winning with the media in his first Orioles press conference. And the truth is we're probably going to need to note, um, we need to wait three years to know. But I think that's the case with every draft. We think Adley Rutschman was the right pick. We're all pretty sure. But let's check back in a couple of years. The major league draft is a fickle thing. Um, I do feel confident in saying, though, that either he was the guy or it was close because I don't think the Orioles would make a big reach just to go under slot. No one's going to be available in the later rounds. Yeah, Mike Elias did say that they have been following Chris Dad since high school. How do you think the Orioles are going? I mean, I know this is much more speculation than facts, but how do you um, think that they will be affected by this whole COVID-19, the minor league system, they've not had a chance to continue to develop right in the crucial part of this rebuild? Yeah, it's particularly tough for a team that is focused so strongly on the future. Um, these past few months have probably been the toughest and maybe the most important months ever for the Orioles minor league coaches and development staff because you have to tweak your programs on the fly and you have to become adept at training players over Zoom, really and in giving guys the tools to succeed and then having faith in them to go out and perform individually. So I think it's uniquely difficult for a team like the Orioles or the Tigers or the Royals, teams that are in the scenario where competition in 2020 competitiveness for a playoff berth is not at the top of the list. Um, I wonder how that's going to affect the rest of the 60-man roster because, as you and I said here, 44 players were released yesterday. And I, I'm thinking we'll see some more young players on that 60-man roster. I think it could be a chance to shape the roster a little bit differently, knowing that Ryan Mountcastle and Keegan Aiken and players like that are not going to get to play in, in organized minor league games. And maybe the organization says the wise tactic now is actually to – bring them up even though they wouldn't have been up opening day because we want to simply see them in a competitive game. I don't know. Again, we're all speculating at this point, but I think it has to change the calculus of the competitive reps you get because you can do everything you want to do in terms of player development. And I'm sure the Orioles have been, but we all know there's no substitute for getting on a field and being in a game in a high pressure situation that's where you really find out what these guys are made out of. So I think the calculus as to which young players are on the roster and on the 60-man squad, I think that changes because of this 
COVID-19 pandemic. How surprised were you that Ali Rutschman was not on that roster, especially because um, the, the, one of the catchers was allowed to be a bullpen catcher. That would have been great reps for Adley. And I know it's the initial roster, but he wasn't right. on it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious if he's going to get that bullpen catcher role for the 60-man. I, I think there's a chance. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I was too surprised just because if you look at who's not on the roster now, there are a bunch of young players that are not on the roster yet. Michael Elias is going to speak. We're doing this Monday morning, and Michael Elias is, is going to speak to the media Monday night. Um, certainly he'll be asked about that, but I, I won't be surprised if he is part of the next group. But I understand the Orioles saying, let's release all the veterans, basically, and let's wait a little bit more to finalize the young players who are on there. I think it'd be a great experience for him, but um, I get why they're doing it as a two-pronged approach. Who is one player on the Orioles that really excites you? And in your mind, you're saying, this is the guy that will be the future of bringing, and bringing competitiveness back to Baltimore. Hmm. It's a good question. I, I mean, it's easy to say players that are in the minors that we just haven't seen yet, the Adleys, the Gunnar Hendersons of the world. But there were a, a couple of guys last year that, that stood out to me, and I don't know what the role is five years, ten years down the line, but young players that were not on the radar that – that made a, a leap forward. I liked a lot of what we saw from Anthony Santander last year. I liked his ability to hit right-handed as the season moved on and not just be a left-handed power swinger. He made some excellent defensive plays in right field. Um, he was somebody that was just not really on the radar before the season started. And then like the way Austin Hayes ended the year, you, you can't help but be wowed by that kid. He's got serious skills he is a potential elite center fielder i really think so and if he works on his batting eye continuously and, and becomes a little bit more choosy and continues to develop at the plate that is a top of the order guy in the future to me so i was really excited to see his september and i just we want a healthy season out of him maybe it's only gonna be a healthy 60 games now but if there's a healthy 60-game season for Austin Hayes, I am really, really excited to see what he can do. And Hayes and Santander, I think, is two-thirds of a really good young outfield. And uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see who's going to join them and who's going to be the surprises this year, who's going to be the Pedro Severino this season. But, yeah, Austin Hayes in particular, and then the kind of out-of-nowhere season for Santander, those were the two that really stood out for me last year. Those were the two that opened my eyes and – and made me think, I, I can see these two playing a role in the future, whether it's at the top of the lineup, whether it's middle, whether it's closer to the bottom, if the Orioles really fill it out. Those are two guys I think are pretty valuable. What about John Means? John came out and had a really great year getting an all-star nod. He really impressed me just overall. Uh, what was your take on him? Uh, I mean, like everybody else, blown away to, to have this guy who was seen as an afterthought for the opening day roster to make it, to do what he did in that first appearance out of the bullpen against the Yankees, and then to just keep doing it. I mean, there were folks around the league that were just waiting for the bubble to burst in April, in May, in June, in July, in August, and it never really did. There were some downer periods, but, but no prolonged uh, funks for John Means last year. 
I'm a little disappointed of, among all Orioles that aren't going to get a full season. I'm a little disappointed that, that, that John Means isn't going to get it, and maybe more so than anyone else because I wanted to see what he was going to do to repeat. He's a player that it, it is sort of fashionable to knock in the offseason if you had a projection system. Okay, John Means, well, he had a fluke year last season. He's going to have a five-and-a-half ERA. I don't think it was going to happen, but I would have loved to see a full season of John Means prove it. It's hard because I have a lot of faith in the analytics side of the game. And I understand there are some predictive metrics that say, well, John Means was a little bit lucky last year. But we can't lose the, the human element. And the human element for John Means was he just changed who he was as a pitcher. He upped his velocity. He changed where he worked in the zone. He's a really cerebral guy in the way he took in information and, and changed who he was. And I'm sure he did that again this offseason, and I'm sure he was doing it during these three months where we've been off. Uh, I guarantee John Means is going to be an even different pitcher this year. I think he's been working on the slider curveball mix in that third pitch because the changeup was great last year. The fastball can play. Let's find a third pitch now. Is it going to be the slider? Is the curveball going to get wiped out? Is the curveball going to get tweaked a little bit? So I, I want to know what John Means looks like this year now that the league has had an offseason to process him and now that he's established himself as a big leaguer. I, I think he was on track to be a surprise to people, even if he had a similar year to last year, because I think some folks were expecting him to just fall off the table. So uh, I want to see a full season of John Means, and, and I want to see – how he took what he learned last year and how he continues to apply the analytic side of the game and grow even more as a pitcher. Someone who like, um, like John means had a great start and then kind of curious what he'll do now. Chris Davis red hot in spring training. What are you expecting from him yeah. in a 60 game season? I mean, I, I was down for a couple of those spring games and, and Chris looked like a different guy. Um, it's a super small sample size, obviously. And that point has been made. And it was made every time Chris Davis homered in spring and every time Chris Davis walked in spring. And, and he is the Oriole with John Means that I am the saddest not to have seen for the last three months. I understand that momentum is a tricky concept, but with Chris's spring success, if he could have carried that right into the regular season, you felt like you had a shot to see something at the start of the year different. And now we just don't know. It's been three months. We just don't know what kind of Chris Davis we're going to see again. I think if the, he, if the change that he made was just an approach at the plate that was different, that should stay. Versus if it was a hot streak, that probably sure. wouldn't. Sure. And part of it is, you know, he, he didn't want to be in, in this similar sort of physical shape as last year, right? Like, let's stay bulked up. Let's get some strength back into this. All right. What has his weight training regimen been like for the last three months? What has his diet been like for the last three months? Hopefully it's been the same, but we just literally haven't seen any of these guys for three months. So you, you talk to major league hitters and they will remind you how fickle a game this is and how just a little tweak in the approach, a tweak in the swing 
or a physical tweak, a tweak in the hamstring, a tweak in their shoulder can throw off everything. Chris had it going. Chris was locked in in spring, and I hope he will be able to, to recapture what seemed like that lightning in a bottle stretch when the season starts because, man, when you're a hitter and you have it, you, you do everything that you're doing to keep it. And I hope that these three months haven't completely disrupted Chris's season. I'd like to end off an interview with a prediction. Um, and just by the way, I, we do have a very good track record of these predictions coming through. So Okay, so no pressure. Yeah, no pressure at all. all right. I think we got like World Series predictions. Um, I'm missing a couple other ones, but we have hit it. When are the Orioles going to be uh, competing for a playoff spot? Boy, it's it's tough to say. Um, I'd love to say this year. I think that the organization is smart enough to not just throw all their chips into the center of the table this year, though, and, and continue to push the development. Let's say this. The Houston Astros are Mike Elias years. I, I think that's a fair model to look at, right? Because the Astros tore everything down so they could build it back up again. And 2015, I believe it was, was the year the Astros returned to the postseason. And 2000, I think it was, let's see, 2011 was, yeah, the worst single season record in, in Astros history. So 2011 didn't work. They hired Luno after 2012. 2013's bad. 2014's not very good. 2015's great. It took a couple of years. Um, it took really three years of having a top two pick. I think the Orioles are probably looking at a similar deal. This was their second year in a row with a top two pick. I think they're going to have a similar approach this season, try to get another high pick in 2021. And then 2021 could be the ETA for Adley Rutschman. Maybe my, Ryan Mountcastle is full-time by then. Maybe Yusniel Diaz is full-time by then. Austin Hayes continues to develop this year. John Means. I'm, I'm looking at 2022. Let's see what happens in 2022. I don't know if it's the playoff push necessarily, but 2022 would be, if you're saying 2018 was a, a year where the Orioles really started the rebuild because they tore down pieces. 2019 is the first year of the full front office. 2020, this front office continues what they're doing. I think next year maybe acts as a gap year of sorts. I'm looking at 2022 to see where the organization is because that'll be three seasons gone in the Michael Elias Sigmai Dell regime, hopefully the Brandon Hyde regime. Hopefully all the folks are still there. Uh, and then we can kind of put the chips on the table and say, what are the last three years brought? So 2022 is what I'm looking for. Uh, and I'll, I'll go with that. Hey, thank you, Kevin, for coming on. And you can call me in 2022 and tell me if I was right or wrong, by the way. But yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Yosef. I appreciate it. That was Kevin Brown, the voice of the Baltimore Orioles, who joined me on Sports with Yosef. Big thank you to Kevin. For coming on, you heard me reference the Jerry Sandusky interview, which, looking back on it, I can't believe how fast I was talking. Scratched out. I can't believe it. Still ridiculously fast. Still check it out. And all of the previous episodes of Sports with Yosef, which can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, Sports with Yosef. 
check me out on Sportscaster. I'm going to be doing some more streams coming up. So make sure you're there for every stream. Sportscaster.com. Sportscaster.com. Dash Yosef M613. My username is Yosef M613 consistently. I'm not trying to trick you. In fact, I'm trying to make it easy for you. Check that out. I'm actually... I normally would be advertising for my blog right now. But I'm shifting blogging sites. I am now going to be writing for FlurrySports.org, covering fantasy football. And then I was going to be writing for Tackler, T-A-C-L-E-R-R.com. What is up with these weird spellings for both Sportscaster, Tackler? I don't know. Username, you'll see them, 6132. Go, join up, give me a follow. Interact with my content there. My articles are not yet going to be published for Flurry Sports. They're going to, like post a bunch of them at the same time with some other people's articles that'll probably be coming up in a couple of weeks but keep it tuned for that i don't yet know my you my what my web page there is going to look like uh just because i don't have an article out yet but once that's out i will know more about that check me out on twitter username yosefm613 yosefm613 by the way if you want to advertise on this show or any of my other content dm me on twitter yosefm613 all right, sports are back, or at least they're trying to get back, would be a little bit more accurate. But baseball, basketball, and hockey all have plans. Hockey and basketball both have bubble situations. Uh, the ba- I don't remember what the NHL's bubble is. The NBA's bubble is going to be in Orlando and in the Disney parks there, so that'll be interesting to see how that's going to work out. Look, I think for sports to come back, for normal life to come back, people are going to have to accept that people are going to come down with COVID. And a lot of athletes have said, we don't care if we come down with COVID. Not all, but a lot. And what is the responsibility to for those athletes who are saying, we don't really care? Because the question isn't going to be if people are going to get COVID. The question is going to be, how are leagues, how are players, how are fans, how is the media going to react when someone gets COVID, when someone spreads COVID? Because it will happen, guaranteed. Whether it'll be basketball, maybe it'll be in every league, maybe it'll only be in some, but it's going to happen, especially in the NFL and MLB, neither of which are doing a bubble plan. And this is going to be really interesting to see how it works. The, it's not what's going to be crucial to determining the success of sports in 2020 and beyond is the reaction to COVID, not the preparation. All right, so some other sports news. Cam Newton was signed by the Patriots on a minimum contract of about $6.5 million of incentives. And I'm actually working on an article for Tackler about how it's going to impact the AFC East playoff picture. But here's this, here, here's going to be the thing with Newton. First off, I'm not so sure if he's starting week one. I think he is. But maybe he's not. Remember, he's coming into New England. He's learning a whole new system. Jurette Stidham's been there for years. They're not going to be changing up the system a lot. We're not going to see Bill Belichick come out and all of a sudden start cracking smiles because Tom Brady's gone. That's not happening. The Patriots are going to remain the Patriots. Now that said, with Cam Newton, it'll be interesting to see how they will adapt. Because I guarantee you, they're going to be making some changes. There have been some rumors, uh, more, I say rumors, more like speculation. Because I've not heard anything confirmed. 
but maybe the Patriots would use a system similar to what the Ravens are doing with Lamar Jackson. I mean, my thoughts on that, if they would. First off, is Newton athletic enough to be able to do that? Also, what's Newton's health status? We've not seen Newton on a football field for a long time. We've not seen him play a full season since who knows when. I sure don't because I don't have that in front of me. Um, I don't... Did he play all 2018? I don't remember. I, I don't, whatever. But, like, what's his status? He has some. He's had some surgeries recently. What is he going to be like when he steps onto this field? I, his athleticism was never what Lamar Jackson's athleticism was. Never. And I think it'll be interesting to see what the Patriots will do because we could be seeing a lot of RPOs, a lot of zone reads, a lot of options, a lot more of a college-style offense out of Bill Belichick. And I think that'd be kind of fun to watch in New England. Here's the drawback. The Ravens have a very, very ta um, talented supporting cast around Lamar Jackson. The Patriots, not as much. Julian Edelman, 34-year-old slot receiver. Eh. Mohamed Sanu, eh. Sony Michelle, eh. James White. He's good. White's, White is a very good um, catching passes out of the backfield. Not a great runner. I, I just don't think the Patriots have a great option. And I just saw my Wi-Fi went out. So there goes some of my other prep work. But that'll be interesting to see as well. Because I don't think it changes the playoff picture. I still think the Bills win the AFC. So there's your snapshot. Check out the article for more analysis on that. But what, does, what I think this does for Cam Newton, this gives Newton the options. If This is a make it or break it for Cam Newton's career. If he doesn't make it this year, if he doesn't do well, he will be forced into retirement. Because why would a team take a chance? Why would a team want him as a backup quarterback? A guy who's going to want some money, who's going to be in a situation where he can't win if he's on the field, and if he's on the field and he has trouble staying on the field, why would any team want that as a backup quarterback? I, I see no reason a team wants that. None at all. Now, if Ken Newton does mediocre, proves he can still get some stuff done, maybe a team signs him as a backup. If Newton does well, then he could go command a $50 million contract. He's 31. The opportunity is there. The desperation is there. This is it for Cam Newton. This is his chance at NFL redemption. If there is anything America loves, it is a redemption story. That's what I'm curious about, Colin Kaepernick. As well, like I don't think a team will sign Kaepernick, but I wouldn't be surprised if they would. And I, if a team signs Kaepernick, I am expecting the media to go nuts, absolutely nuts. So much so, I have a feeling that will be like, I don't know, it will be a lot. It would, the media would go nuts, because America loves redemption stories, and Cam Newton has a chance at being one of those members in a redemption story. And for that to happen, he needs to go out and he's going to need to really do well on the field. And there will be a quarterback battle in New England. When was the last time I could say that? When was the last time there was a quarterback question in New England? The NFL really has come full circle, though. Where I, And I don't have the graphic in front of me. Like I said, my Wi-Fi has collapsed. Um, hopefully, it'll get that back up as soon as I'm done recording. But Cam Newton went from the Panthers to the Patriots. Tom Brady went from the Patriots to the Buccaneers. James Winston went from the Buccaneers to the Saints. Teddy Bridgewater went from the Saints to the Panthers. If you're able to trace, if you're able to follow that, great. If not, go back 15 seconds, listen to it again. It is a full circle, from Patriots 
And now Patriots to Buccaneers to Saints to Panthers and back to the Patriots again. In the NFL, it's a small league, it's a small world, and I'm interested in seeing how Cam Newton will try to change that because I think that the Patriots, for the second time in 18 years, are not going to be taking the AFC East. Thanks for listening to this edition of Sports with Yosef. Big thanks to Kevin Brown for coming on. I'm Yosef Nassinto. I'll see you next time.